Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, earlier in the week, the Oireachtas Committee on Sport and Media met and Diego was in the spotlight. There was a lot of talk about the value, the access, the cost, uh, a whole host of different elements. And so I wanted to press pause a little bit and take a, a deeper look at the platform. So who's behind it? Who's it good for? And indeed, what does it mean for the average sports fan? Emmett Ryan of the Business Post is with me once again. Uh, Emmett, just remind us where the notion of GAA Go came from. Original focus was heavily on making sure that the GAA sort of controlled the broadcast and the broadcast revenue, really, of games that were being shown overseas. It came in during Sky's deal showing GAA games. Obviously, Sky had the UK and Ireland rights for certain games. RTE had the Ireland rights for uh, a lot of games. Whereas uh, GA Go, the idea was for other markets, uh, particularly the RTE games that weren't on Sky for the UK, you'd watch them through GA Go and pay a subscription fee for those games. It sort of evolved really during the pandemic because obviously people couldn't go to games and the GA wanted to be able to show a lot more of them for fans who were at home, particularly the older viewers. So they put an awful lot of games that were behind closed doors up on the service and available to view in Ireland. And that made an enormous difference, obviously, in terms of the interest. People were more familiar with streaming as a result. But it all really changed this season because that was when the deal changed. So the Sky Games effectively moved to GA Go, which is a behind the paywall, obviously, streaming service. And that service, though, is co-owned by RT and the GAA. And that's somewhat where the controversy begins because, on the one hand, for its free-to-air TV games, RT is a customer of the GAA, whereas for the streaming service, RTE and the GA are 50-50 partners in this third entity, which we know as GA Go. So it's sort of this bizarre thing where they're both a, a, a client and a partner of the GA at the same time. And obviously, in the broader RTE context, it rather encapsulates the current RTE issues around being both a public service broadcaster and a commercially focused organization at the same time. So the real controversy over this season was it, it's essentially because so many of the games people wanted to watch particularly on Saturdays, were behind that paywall. Now, they were already at the pay to view them when they were on Sky, but there was a familiarity, at least, with the Sky games, and people were complaining when Sky had them, just to be clear, just not as vocally, that, you know, it's, it's still through the television at the usual format. For a lot of older users in particular, or people in areas with poor broadband, which is also a significant area, uh, that was a major issue, because essentially people felt that even if they could view the games, legally speaking, it was very challenging for them to do so. Either it was a technical issue, uh, either through their own ability or through simply just not having good enough broadband to watch games through streaming. And naturally, some big games or some very exciting games ended up going on that. And that was, again, where this debate came in, where how are the games being selected for, for free-to-air versus GA Go? How are we deciding what gets to be shown to the public and what ha- for free and what has to be behind a paywall? Alan Dillon, uh, well, he was off by one, but he was made a solid point. Five of the last 11 games in the football championship, as in the final 11 knockout games, five were solely on GA Go, which is obviously going to cause concerns for some people, including two quarterfinals. Then you also add in that uh, quite a lot of these, you know, games like the Saturdays weren't shown, but also Kerry, of their six championship games so far, only one has been free to air. The game on Sunday, and if they make the alarm final, that will both be free to air. But obviously, they've got David Clifford, who's probably the biggest star in Gaelic football right now. He hasn't been easy to view for people who don't want to have to pay for an extra service. So that's led to an awful lot of controversy around it. Yeah, and I suppose for people who 
are impacted by it. They will only know too well the matches that have been behind the paywall or have been only on certain um, channels and so on. But who decides what goes where? Because obviously I overhear conversations in this office, right, where the off the ball lads will say, oh, well, we've got the rights to the commentary of X match. uh, So we'll be doing that live. Like, is that a very contentious thing, getting the rights for matches and... Is the competition there to to with the, the likes of the streamers, the traditional broadcasters, the big broadcasters, and so on, all battling? I think that's one of the big complaints because obviously, with the GA being a partnership with RTE and GA Go, RTE essentially has the full access to the championship, and so that naturally again leads to that debate over who's choosing what. Whereas in the past, you previously had Virgin Media before Sky, or well, at least when Virgin were called TV Three, they had them, and Sky. I know from last year. They, they were seeking to increase the number of games they had. Essentially, the issue between them and the JA was the JA actually wanted to reduce uh, or, or at best retain the maximum number of games Virgin that Sky had at the time, whereas Sky felt that in order for them to get value, they would need to, and they were willing to pay, just to be clear, but they would need to double the number of games they were showing. Instead of GA opted to go all in with RTE. Obviously, with Virgin Media, there's a commercial interest there in terms of you know whether it was worth their while to do it. And the, the J was already partnered with RT and J Go, so they couldn't go in to really offer as a separate streaming service even for that particular funding approach. So as a result, competitively, it made it a challenging market. But naturally enough, a lot of people, including several members of the Aroctus during the week, have pointed out, surely J, given its role as a public organization, should have been looking to make more games free to air. And they were pointing out that surely by looking at the likes of TG Car and Virgin Media and not considering it all about what was the best in terms of fiscal return, they should have looked for ways to get more games on more platforms. Okay, this is the part of the show where I ask some stupid questions. Yeah, so just bear with me. Um, you know the way RTE has the RTE player and Virgin Media has the Virgin Media player and so on. Why did, like, what was the differentiator between GA Go and the RTE player? Like, could they not have just hosted the matches on the RTE player, which is which does feature advertising, thus getting revenue that way? Which is one of the many good questions. But essentially, GA and RTE have both acknowledged that through GA Go, they want to use it as a revenue generator. They want to get subscription money for it. Now, there are two price points to bear in mind. One is the season pass. That was €78 Euro for the games. I think there was 42 games shown on GA Go this year. So it was less than €2 Euro per game. It was very good value across that. But for an individual game, which led to a lot of consternation, it was €12 Euro per match, which an awful lot of people gave out about. And again, there was also the technical challenge on top of that. So, you know, but a lot of people have made the argument that there are other outlets that could have been used that could have made these games free to air. There was this, it was seen by an awful lot of people in the J, particularly, um, and members of people who've been going to games for a long time, that this was an element of greed on the part of both organisations, and really they should have been looking for a way to ensure more people got to see these games. Yeah, I was talking to Jerry O'Sullivan on Radio Kerry a few months ago because one of his listeners pointed out that uh, GA Go, this is a message that, that, that they received, GA Go increased the price to €15 Euro on match day from 12 uh, because they were watching, they were trying to access the match. They bought the, the Game Pass basically on their phone and there was an extra charge because of the app store nonsense so not only were fans figuring out to navigate the technology but they also didn't realize that they were going to be charged more if they went to buy a match pass on the app versus on their web browser on a computer yeah and like just because the, the, the main defense is, is it's not like these games are free to watch already 
because they had been on Sky before. And the other defence has obviously been they are showing more games terrestrially than before. But when you have the same client uh, slash partner relationship going on, there's immediately scepticism over who gets to choose what games get shown. That's essentially where this debate has come about. Now, two of the games that were Diego only this year, there seems to be indications, but nothing firm will be free to air next year. They were the two All-Ireland quarterfinals that were played on the Saturday of that weekend as opposed to the Sunday. And like the viewing figures, we haven't got we haven't gotten to hand for the Sunday, but the maximum for one of those GA Go games was 120,000. That was Kerry versus Tyrone. Uh, but like that would have been a few hundred thousand on free to air TV without anyone doubt really on that because of the nature of that rivalry. So people are kind of going, this limited the, the scope and the viewing, even though there was this revenue generated. GA has estimated about four million will be brought in in terms of revenue from GA Go this season. Uh, that that's you know across the 42 games, they reckon it was 1.3 million views in total of games through that service. That's uh, between both paid subscriptions, uh, sorry, between full season subscriptions and single game subscriptions. However, they haven't shown what the breakdown is between views in Ireland and views overseas, because of course it was already existing as an overseas viewing service. So, what impact has really had in terms of getting the Irish public to pay into it still remains to be seen. Yeah, I was thinking when I was coming into work this morning, I was actually thinking about uh, streaming services as a whole and how we've never had more content to watch, but I've also never had to pay so much money to access the content. Like back in the day when I was just watching stuff on YouTube with the odd ad here and there, I was kind of happy out. Now you're paying a huge amount of money every month, which obviously adds up to every year to access content. And I think sports fans in particular... You know, if you wanted all the channels when on a traditional TV package, you always had to pay a significant amount more. The Sky Sports Pass on Now TV is quite expensive. Obviously, the GAA Go um, passes, they're not exactly cheap. It does feel like that there's, you know, consistent financial barriers being put up to give us access to the content that we want, which I, I have no object to, objection paying, but I guess I'm not overly happy with paying a huge amount of money every single month for it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a multi-layer issue because on the one hand, there is more sport available to you than ever before because of streaming, no question about that. There are simply more platforms showing more stuff. Going all the way down to club championship level as well, there are services even within individual counties where you can page of view. And then you see the likes of T.G. Carter, who probably been the most forward thinking when it comes to using its multiple platforms, the way it uses YouTube, the way it uses its own player, and also the way in which it sort of has used short form uh, tools like Instagram, TikTok, and whatever, in order to really make sure it maximizes the way its sports coverage is uh, digested by the audience. But at the same time, that complication at a whole level is very much with sports fans. Because even before you get to paying, uh, which is obviously an issue in its own right, Finding the game you want to watch has become a chore, essentially, like working out exactly where you need to go to pay for it, like what service it is. Like, as you know, Jess, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners do, I'm an enormous sports fan. I basically like inhale a lot of matches every week. Uh, You know, I have very understanding friends in other half, uh, which will come in handy in that respect. But it also means I've got to be more aware of where I'm going to watch games I want to watch. And it does mean I am using more platforms than ever. Like if I looked at my phone today and check my sports description, I'd know it'd be more than I like to admit. And that's an issue. But it's not just the cost thing, which is big in its own right, but it's a complication which is annoying an awful lot of people. Mm. Um, there had been talk a few years ago about uh, Wimbledon being streamed live on Twitter. Uh, and then there'd been talk about Amazon uh, streaming live sport 
will the traditional streamers and social platforms tap into this now or is the monetization too lucrative to to both the sporting organizations and indeed the other channels and broadcasters to let uh you know social media get anywhere near it it's been a softy softy approach so far from the uh, online broadcasters one way of putting them that's your Amazons, your YouTubes, uh, Apple, and the like. Like, but we're starting to see some increased moves. Like the NFL t- typically has one game a week now that's only on Amazon. There's two mm-hmm. rounds of Premier League fixtures that are only on Amazon. Apple have recently pitched the entirety of Major League Soccer, the US League, to show its rights around the world. So there are definitely examples there. But at the same time, the broadband quality issue remains one, which is why a lot of the streamers are still a little wary of diving into live sport, live content. Because essentially, when it comes to live content that you know people want to watch live by the very nature, you need to have that quality broadband to ensure it's going to deliver what you want. So as a result, some of the traditional big, big players in the streaming space are still that bit wary about going all in on it, going, going with a major investment is in, like to, to compete with your big market players in any market, like be it a small market like Ireland or a major market like the United States, because essentially there is always going to be this little bit in the back of the head of the of the rights owner, that the GA or the NFL or whoever, who are trying to make sure they can maximize the audience, maximize that interaction. And even if that's a paying audience, they'll know that, like, you know, in the US, ESPN, for all the issues with cable TV, having cord cutting, is still going to be easier for someone to access than Amazon Prime. And that's still in the back of the head of a lot of users. Likewise, over here, Sky, we, I mentioned, again, people had to pay, but there was this element of, but at least we know people can get Sky wherever they are in terms of Sky Sports. Broadband has that little bit of a eh, reaction from people. Like, but, so we're seeing it in parts, obviously, it's expanding usage, but we haven't seen it become the primary holder of the biggest rights, so to speak, yet. And I think until really we get a far higher quality of broadband it, everywhere, like not just where you and I are, Jeff, because we happen to live in areas that are well-served, I still think you're going to see that wariness from the governing bodies. Like we are getting there, I think within the next 10 years, we're certain it's going to be far more of a factor. Um, but uh, right now, I don't think it's as big as I would have expected, say, this time 10 years ago. Mm. Um, finally, I was thinking about you the other weekend when the Twitter rate limit exceeded thing came on because I wanted to talk to you about... Like, as you said there, you're a huge sports fan and you'd often, you know, tweet or put stuff up on Instagram as you're watching different games. Like, with the the way things are going with Twitter and with threads happening in certain parts of the world as well, is it going to be harder for people like you who like to dual screen, as in, you know, watch a match on telly, but then also engage it on social media? If the users are going to become decentralised, because obviously we here in Europe don't have uh, Meta's threads, and also then Twitter has just been an overall dose. Um, like, is that going to impact the average sports fan? I think it already has, uh, even before threads came out. Because certainly, cause like, you know, particularly with like a lot of the sports, you know, I watched, they would have very active online communities all over the world. And just following what people were saying and what was going on has, clear, has clearly become harder because of Twitter getting more janky, for want of a technical mm-hmm. term, uh, in the last few months. Like, uh, I, you know, the, since the World Cup really in football last, last autumn, winter, We've started to see that, and I've noticed it more with the type of events I'd watch where you'd expect, like, really heavy activity, where there'd be, like, you know, just, like, you know, be harder to find the people I would normally follow, you know, interesting or or find the thing that actually is the most interesting coming up. Like, it's just not what it was. And, like, you know, the classic one is I'm having a lot more people share and tweet at me via WhatsApp than ever before because 
they know there's a better chance that I might have seen over three hours than there ever was before, which is a classic one of that. I think Thread is only going to compound that because anyone I know in the US and the UK has used Thread has basically said it's just so much cleaner in terms of the ease of use and things not breaking, which is basically all you really want from an app of that nature. So, you know, and all the major sports organizations in the US have already jumped on Threads. I'm sure they're doing so in the UK as well. And until we see it in Europe, although I think that might be sooner than I was guessing, I was very pessimistic a couple of weeks ago, uh, I think we're, it's going to continue to have that divide. The reason I have a bit more confident, Jess, just before we wrap up, I know, mm-hmm. is with BARD being cleared by the DPC the other day by Google, that was like within a month of them being told, you're not going to be cleared. I thought that was going to be a lot longer of a turnaround time. So I now think that like, you know, with Meta, when they bring threads to the DPC here, they might be able to get a far faster turnaround than I was expecting as well, which I was initially saying December at best, January and February more likely for Europe, which is obviously very pessimistic, but also what I genuinely thought was the case. Now, realistically, it could it could actually be here by September, very plausibly. But okay, well, hang on. Let's stay on that now because I um I was talking to Pat Kenny about uh, Bard the other day, and I brought him the statement from the DPC. Uh, it doesn't seem that the DPC has given it the gold standard, you know, badge, and they're number one on the podium. It seems like they've done enough to launch in Europe, but there is going to be active engagement. I don't know if I'd be, for once, I don't think I'd be as optimistic as you in this instance. Yeah, but it's more that they actually allowed them to get through is what actually made me optimistic in that respect, because there will be active engagement. DPC has said Google has, to, well, Google has to come back to them in three months on it. But I thought that essentially because of you know how clearly they hadn't reached the DPC standards like in June, I thought until, unless they're hitting gold standard, they aren't getting that green light. And like they hit the I uh, or grand standard, which is not exactly the highest standard, as I think it's safe to say. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, because they got to go live with the I uh, your grand standard. That's a bit of a surprise. So that has me far more confident for threads getting a quicker approval than I would have been like only a couple of weeks ago. Have you played around with Bard? I've yet to, but that's to be honest, is entirely because my life has been pure busyness. Uh, doing all the great things with the business posts. So read it all this weekend, online and in print. What a plug. Emmett Ryan, as always, thanks so much for joining us here on Newstalk. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, and that's it from me this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the Newstalk app powered by GoLoud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's Newstalk Breakfast. But in the meantime, have a great weekend.